Hi, Dan Seaborn here. Thank you for connecting with us. Our goal here at Winning at Home is in every way that we can offer you guidance and tips on how to grow in your family life, no matter the stage or the age that you are. And so today, we're giving you some simple tips and practical advice on growing with your family. We hope you enjoy it. And if you'd like more information about Winning at Home, make sure you hit our website, winningathome.com. Here you go. Hope you enjoy this featured show. As I share today, you're going to find out I got plenty of flaws. If you know me, you know I got flaws. And I'm going to talk about how I think God humbles us and helps us grow by being willing to be humble. And I'm as competitive as they get. I, I love to win when I play stuff. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's not about me winning. It's about Christ winning. It's about trying to make a difference for him. And hopefully today as I share this message from my heart, uh, you will connect with it. Because when we think about leadership, this ladder illustrates it, the corporate ladder. I'm going to show you exactly what we think like in our society. And, you know, when I travel, I tell people I live in West Michigan, oh, that's that real, that's that real hotbed kind of godly community. People kind of know this area for being a godly area, loving the Lord. But I really think if Jesus walked into Holland and Zealand, he'd freak us out. I really do. I think he'd turn things upside down. Many people would go, well, that can't be right, because the way Jesus did stuff was just crazy. And I'm going to show you that. Like, like if you go into our community, if you came from the outside and moving into Highland, Zealand, who are the leaders of our community? I, I know what we would name. We would name leaders who are very well known. We'd name politicians. We, there's nothing wrong with that because it's just the way the system works. That's what Jesus talked about. I'm going to show you. But you got to see something about this corporate ladder. This corporate ladder that represents leadership in our society, it's really built around me. It's built around my accomplishments and, and what I want to gain. I mean, it, it's real easy to see. You just kind of start walking up and then you feel it. Number one, it's designed to help me lord it over others. I mean, the higher you get, the more you get to lord it, the bigger you are. You get to look down at all these little people who serve you. You used to be down here with them and hang out with them. That, by the way, we'll get here, but that's where Jesus hung out and stayed. But in our society, get, getting on this step and, and becoming a little better than everybody else and having a little more than this one or that one or a little more prestige, a little more power, a little more influence, this, this feels good. And it focuses on me and my accomplishments. You say, Dan, is it wrong to accomplish things? Shoot, no. Jesus accomplished plenty, but I'm going to show you how he did it a different way. Do you see how it's kind of focusing on me getting to the top? Do you see how it begins to narrow? There, there's a lot of people lead their family this way. I'm the dad and I told you, you will listen to me. It's, it's not out of love or grace or mercy or care. It's I. This benefits me. Makes me think of myself more. I'm, I'm not going to keep doing it because this ladder, he, Kevin gave me one I could kill myself on, but I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> the, the top rung says, do not stand, no problem. <laughs> but the bottom line is, it, if we get to here, we're somebody. And I want to show you, if Jesus walked into town and started talking about leadership, I'm going to show you how he flipped that. 
We're going to go to the book of Luke that Kevin's been teaching you from all along. And in Luke chapter 22 and verse 24, there's a little story that happens, and I want to show you what happened. Jesus had just done this thing called communion. Uh, Kevin was telling you, you're going to have somebody come in and do it with you the Jewish way. You're going to learn a lot. Jesus did it with his disciples. He had just sat at the table with them. Look, look at this scene, this little snippet of life from Jesus. So he has communion with his disciples. He talks about his body. He talks about the blood. And he blesses all of them. Now, you guys have had communion before. Most of you have taken communion. When you finish communion, you're not like, yo, yo, what's up? Give me five. He's kind of a quiet. Usually if you finish service with a communion, you kind of walk out a little more somber, a little more, have a good day. It's just a little different. Well, the Bible says that the disciples, they had finished communion and started talking, listen, and they started arguing among themselves as to who was the greatest right after communion. Jesus just said, guys, I'm going to be going out. This isn't going to be pretty. You guys don't get what's about to happen. I'm about to be killed, and I'm going to be gone. And they started going, well, who's going to take over the ladder? And Jesus said, guys, the least among you is the greatest. And they're looking at each other, I'm sure, like, what's he talking about? Yeah, the least among you is the greatest. He said, like, when you sit down at a table, which one do you think is the most important, the people who are sitting at the table or the people who are serving at the table? And he said, of course you think the people who are sitting. He said, but did you guys notice I came to walk around and serve the table? He flipped it. Do you get what I'm saying? Jesus flipped the ladder and said, if you want to be the greatest, if you want to make the biggest influence, you got to be the least. Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, you got to be the least. The ladder's got to flip. Guys, I came to come and, and go around the table and serve each of you. And the reason I did that is because I need my message, look, to spread. I don't need it to do the opposite. I need it to do this. Jesus said, the greatest leader in my little group here is going to be the one who does it. This isn't easy. He did it in Luke 2, chapter 9. Disciples got into another argument. Which one's going to be the greatest? Jesus brought a little child. Do you remember? He brought a little child, Luke chapter 9. And he said, guys, unless any of you get this, become like this little child, you can't really be the greatest leader. Well, a child's not perfect. A child has tantrums. A child messes up. That's really cool because he gives us all hope of being leaders. But he says, this little child is forgiving. This little child is loving. Any of you got young children and you mess up, what happens? If they're five, six, seven, eight, all the way up to 14. If you look at him and say, hey, daddy messed up, will you forgive me? Oh, daddy, no problem. I forgive. But I really messed up. I really, it's okay, daddy. It's okay, mom. 18, not so much. But when you're little, they forgive you. And Jesus said, that's a leader. Humble. Willing to submit. And you say, Dan, you know, you're talking about leadership. I'm, 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 I'm 16. I'm, I'm 18. I, this message, are you kidding me? Do you know, looking back at my life, one of the greatest opportunities I had to lead that I think I missed was 16 and 18. The, who at your school lives like that? Who at your school says this? It's not about me, guys. I just, I want to come to serve. I want to help. Hey, anybody here needing help, guidance, love, whatever? I, I'm full of it because I want to I wanna make a difference. You get made fun of for living this way in high school. Come on. But if you do it, 
You're doing what Jesus did and you stand out to Jesus. But it's just not how society works. So we look at it and we go, this doesn't make sense. But Jesus said, the least is the greatest. You're the most influential when you lead as a servant. Your life blesses others when you flip it and do it this way. Because I'm going to talk about a few leaders in my life. And this guy, I met him when I was 10. And, and I saw him every summer and then maybe twice after that. We're not close friends, but he became one of the most influential men in my life because he showed me something. His name was Brother Gerard. When I first met him, I was probably 10, maybe eight. I don't know. I was on a Greer campground in South Carolina, a place where families kind of got together. My mom would take me there during the day. And we would go over there, and it was kind of a family camp place, and it was about an hour from our house, and, and I would love to get there because I didn't get to do a lot as a kid. And so when mom took us to this place, lots of other boys my age, and we played horseshoes, and we played basketball, and we played volleyball. It was awesome. And I remember the area where the kids would go play. And of course, the adults were walking around doing like religious stuff. And we were over here playing and having fun. But there was this one dude. His name was Brother Gerard. That's what I began to know him as. All I ever heard of him, Brother Gerard. He was bent over. He walked like this. I'm, I'm not in any way mocking the way he walked. This was simply it. He walked like this, and he would walk over where us, us boys were playing. Very quiet, man. But he would walk over, you boys having fun? And I remember I'd be like, oh, that guy's freaky. He, he looked like, you know, he probably, looking back, he must have been like in his late 50s, early 60s. But as a 10-year-old boy, he looked near death. I mean, you know, you, if you're here today and you're like in your 50s like me, you got to remember 10-year-olds look at us and go, ooh, about over for him. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's just reality. So as a little boy, I'd look, oh, that's a really old man. And then, of course, with that hunchback look. And I remember I said to my mom one time, because we had an hour drive, I said to her, Mom, can you tell me about that old man that comes, he comes over where we boys are, and he's kind of scary. She goes, oh, it's Brother Gerard. And I said, Mom, why is he, why is he so hunched over? She said, well, probably he has some, you know, things with his back and stuff. She said, but actually, Dan, probably most of it comes because he's just a man of prayer. She said, if you ever see him like at a service or something, he always goes up and he, he kneels and he kneels like this. And she said, if you'll watch, when he stands up, his back kind of stays in that position because he's known as Mr. Prayer Warrior. I was like, wow, that's, I mean, you know, as a 10-year-old, you're like, well, I'm not going to pray a lot. I don't want to look like that. I mean, you know, it's, it's reality. That's what you're thinking. So let's fast forward from 10 to let, let's go 25 years, 28 years until I'm 30, you know, I'm, I'm 38. Fast forward, I'm living in Michigan. I'm living in Michigan, got a family here, started preaching in the area, you know, working as a pastor in the area, and I get called back to that camp to be the speaker. So, you know, you kind of have a sense of I've made it. They call me back to my hometown. So I go down, almost 40 years of age. I go back to that camp area. Jane was with me, I remember. And I, I said to her this particular night, there was, they go all week long, the services do, preach every other night. Another gentleman preached one night, I'd preach the next. i take turns. And, and I remember I said to Jane, hey, I'm going to preach tonight. And so I, I had not done it yet. This is my first night to preach. I said, I'm going to go to the prayer chapel which is kind of like what we call now the green room, except green rooms has donuts, prayer chapels, just there. So we, we would go into the prayer chapel and pray before you preach. 
So I went in the prayer chapel. I'm 40, okay, close to 40. I walk in the prayer chapel, just me, and there's one other really old dude. And I go in the prayer chapel, and I see this guy. He's over in the corner. It's just a, not a big place. He's over in the corner, and he's got this book, and he's just going. And I look over. His brother Gerard. He's like 160. I'm, I mean, I'm looking like, seriously, he's still alive? And, and I go in to pray. It's just the two of us. And I go in to pray. And I, I know I'm supposed to be praying, but I snuck over like this. <laughs> like, what is he doing? What is that book? You know, so I'm over there watching him. He can't hear me. And so I'm, I'm watching him, and I'm enjoying watching him a little bit. And then after I watch him for a while, I was like, oh, he's... He's praying through his book. And so I go back over to my thing. And I didn't want to be there when he finished. And so I, I got done. And, and I mean, he got done. And he set up. He, it was a little bench or chair or something here. And he kind of set up. And I saw that he was done. And I walked over. I said, Brother Gerard? He said, yes, yes, yes. I said, my name's Dan Seaborn. And uh, you don't know me. I live in Michigan. Uh, you might know my mom and dad, Joe and Betty Seaborn. We grew up around the campground. I remember you when I was a little boy. And I said, you really, you pray a lot, don't you? He said, I do, Dan. I said, what's that book you got? And he said, well, this is, this is my prayer journal and prayer book. And he said, I just, I just pray through this every day. I said, you pray through that thing every day? He said, yeah, I've, I pray a lot, Dan. I said, Mr. Jard, that's, that's pretty awesome. And then I said, um, Brother Gerard, is there any chance that, uh, I know you don't know me, I live in Michigan, won't be around these parts, but is there any chance I could ask you to put my name, Dan Seaborn, would you include me in your book? Would you pray for me, sir? Listen. He said, is your real name Danny? I said, yes, sir. He flipped through his book, and he turned, he stopped, and he goes, is that your name right there, son? I said, yeah, yeah, yes, sir, it is. He said, I've been praying for you for many, many years. Are you stinking kidding me? <laughs> I mean, it was like, show me the pulpit. I'm ready to preach. I mean, like, that'll fire you up. I want to show you the difference between Dan Seaborn and Brother Gerard. Right? If I've prayed for any of y'all for a length of time, say a year, and I run into you at Mire, I'm be like, hey, hey, hey. I've been praying for you for a year. I just want you to know, give me some credit, send a thank you note. I'm somebody. I had no idea. So Brother Gerard, the least of these, is sending out these prayer, even to Michigan, and I'm sure to Florida, and I'm, because he figured out Leadership wasn't him getting attention. It was bringing his gift and giving. His gift was prayer, and he laid it right there and watched it blossom. You said, Dan, my leadership is running a company. Perfect. Put it right there and watch that. This is pretty cool stuff. That's what Jesus, Jesus said, I, I'm going to have to totally die so that, <laughs> so I can go write a book called the Bible and I'll become the person in history who makes the biggest impact. He didn't say that. He just did it. So I want to show you, for you personally in your life, 
what it looks like to be Christ-like leader. Number one, gaining attention and accolades are not important to you. How are you doing with that? It's NCAA time. I got my brackets filled out so far. My team's in. I thought it would be appropriate today. I know I've mentioned Coach John Wooden to you before, but I got to spend two days with him. Once, one occasion, and then a year later, another day. A whole day. The greatest basketball coach. He won 10 NCAA. What we're watching right now, this playoff madness, he won 10 of those. Eight in a row. Can you imagine if the team that wins this year, North Carolina, were to win another eight, <laughs> nine, ten in a row? crazy it's crazy coach wouldn't one ten of them so I go out and spend the day with him and I just want to tell you two stories coach wouldn't he was he was turning 95 the day after I was there he was 94 364 days old I said tomorrow coach wouldn't you turn 95 and I said you've been blessed you're the greatest coach who ever lived there are other great ones Red Auerbach Phil Jackson I said coach when you die ESPN is gonna go nuts They'll probably for sure do a 30 for 30 about you. If anybody knows ESPN, you know they do shows about great historical sports figures and moments. I said, Coach Wooden, they'll probably do the Coach Wooden Day. Right after you pass away, there'll be story after story. They'll be showing highlights of you and, and Bill Walton. And of course, people that played under him, Kareem. They'll all be there. They'll all say something. I said, Coach, if you could pick the first line of that show, how would it start? And he said, Dan... I hope they don't mention basketball. I hope they say I love Jesus and I love my family. And I was like, Coach, that's good. And I said, Coach, another question. Who's the greatest coach alive today? And he said, I don't know. And I said, Coach Wooden, it's okay. I won't go and broadcast that you said Coach K or whoever you're going to say. Who's the best basketball coach alive today? And he said, Dan, I just told you I don't know. He said it very stern. Dan, I told you I don't know. And I said, Coach, I don't understand. And he said, obviously. He really did. He said, obviously. I said, what do you mean? He said, the greatest coach alive is probably coaching in some little corner of some state in a rural community, probably even at JV level. And we'll never hear about them. But they're the greatest coach the world's ever seen. Oh, my goodness. What he's saying to me is, it's not about this. It's about this. Leadership. Example. Submission. And letting your light so shine before men that they see who? Your good works? Nope. The Father's good works. And they glorify him because of what you've done. Because see, when you understand that your life's not about you, it's about what Christ can do through. If you, hey, any of you young men or women in here in your teens that get this, oh my goodness. If you even, if anything I'm saying today make any sense at all and you see anywhere in your life, you need to flip it and see your life being used more and not about, because I get it, 16, it's all about me, man. I get it. Just so you know, that can happen at 54 too. And if you can capture it now, and if you can start going, wow, I want to broaden my spectrum as a leader, just keep submitting everything and every accolade. Give it to the Lord. When you go to Coach Wooden, I had the privilege of going to the arena there, UCLA. It's called the John Wooden Center now. And, and I walked in. There's a room as you walk in. It says the John Wooden area. You walk in. You push a button. 
First, I'd like to say I give praise to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I said to Coach, when you're a stud, you, you flat out said Jesus in the first sentence. Well, that's why I'm here, Dan. Are you kidding me? You get it. You get it. Now you say, would he have been a tough leader? Absolutely. He's a tough coach. But he knew who to give the glory to. Make sure your accolades. Hey, go become the greatest whatever you can become and do it all for Jesus. Not for you.